Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be continuing our NBA season previews, talking about the Southeast Division, where of course we have the reigning Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat, Logan, but Given some of their regular season struggles last year before that incredible playoff run, given the fact that they missed out on the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, do you have them still winning this division? I have them winning this division, but I have to be honest, Carson, it is very close uh, with the Atlanta Hawks. I think it's going to be a Mm. lot closer of a race than people are anticipating. And it's due to a fundamental tenet that uh, we've seen over the past couple of years and something that you've hammered home repeatedly throughout our offseason previews. Over the past couple seasons, if you are not getting better in the NBA offseason, you are effectively getting worse. And not only Mm -hmm. did they miss out on Damian Lillard, the most prized possession of the offseason, but they also lose real tangible assets that were super valuable to their deep playoff run. Uh, They lose Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Uh, Effectively, you are losing 58 minutes of floor time per game and 22 points per game and some very valuable spacing. So I think that's really the key for Miami this season. How do they, how do they replace that? Uh, those two really valuable pieces, like Struess and Vincent, aren't the best two players in the world, right? But to what Miami does, uh, you need elite shooting, you need elite floor spacing, and you need guys that try on the defensive end. Vincent, a great pick and roll ball handler, Struess, just a good floor spacer that can get hot. So I think it's going to really come down to what we get out of these young wings, Jaime Jaquez Jr. and Nikola Jovic, because they're going to have to step up and play really big roles in this rotation. Look, Miami is going to be good at a borderline, right? They're going to be great to a fault because they have two top 25 players. They have two top 10 defenders on the planet. They were ninth in defensive rating last year. Like when you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, there's just a minimum threshold that you're going to reach, Mm -hmm. which I think is 40 games. 
But that's not the goal. The goal is to get to the NBA Finals this year, and I just don't really think that's on the table. I don't really consider Miami to be a legitimate contender because of their losses this season. And again, we talked about Milwaukee addressing their biggest need. Miami had a very similar need, and that is half-court, dependable, easy offense. In the playoffs, it was Jimmy trying to get downhill and trying to create every single look for this team. And uh, when he injured his ankle against the Knicks, he just couldn't take over uh, as a scorer and dominate the way he was when he was fully healthy in the earlier series. Obviously, they get to the NBA Finals. But I just don't think that's on the table this year, Carson, unless, again, Triple J and Nikola Jovic are insane. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Jaime Jaquez Jr. a lot more than I did in the pre-draft process. I think he's NBA-ready as hell. I think he's super versatile offensively. I think they can use him as a ball handler, a roll man, a straight-up floor spacer. I think he can go serve some buckets on the low block. But I think the biggest key is can he defend and can he rebound at a high level? And then Nikola Jovic, the same thing goes. He's can handle the ball a little bit, can be used as a roll man, but it's really imperative that he knocks down shots and he defends at a high level. But... I just think that's a lot to ask, man. Struis and Vincent played well above their means, and you're going to ask those guys to play well above their means. You also look at this team, and they're aging, right? Kyle Lowry is still going to be dependent on to create shots for other guys. Kevin Love is going to be expected to play a massive role again this season, and they're getting older. Miami's bench has gotten worse. They're getting older, and... They just don't have the requisite talent for me to bank on them. Now, I think they can be a better regular season team than last year. A lot mm. of guys missed time. Lowry missed 37 games. Jimmy missed 18 games. Hero missed 15. And obviously, Hero wasn't there in the playoffs, too, so you're adding another asset when it comes playoff time. But I don't know, Carson. I just really do not think that Miami is a legitimate contender this upcoming season. They're not even on my radar. I I think they lost too much, and I don't think they improved whatsoever, barring Jaime being a beast and Jovic being a beast. I just really do not see a path to even the Eastern Conference Finals, man. I'm super low on Miami, and it would not surprise me at all if Atlanta leapfrogged them to win this division at the end of the season. I also think that it's pretty darn close in terms of regular season prospects, and This was not a good regular season team last year. They were the eight seed. They had to win that second play-in game to get in. They won 44 games. They were a really labored offense in the regular season, 25th in offensive rating. And so now you come from that place, you do lose Struis and Vincent, who were certainly both high-impact, important guys in that playoff run. That matters. I do think there's a bit of heat inflation there, especially when we're talking about Max Struess, who is really just a pretty good spot-up shooter, a good shooter off movement, and that was super important to what the Heat were able to do in the playoffs, just their overall shooting ceiling that they reached. Vincent was especially important in the absence of Tyler Hero when they desperately needed some pick-and-roll creation, some pull-up shooting, some solid playmaking. He was able to provide that, but I don't really view those as super damaging losses in terms of talent I think that the Josh Richardson pickup is solid and I think that he can supplement a decent amount of what both of those guys do he brings some of that pick and roll ball handling I think that he's got good feel there good presence coming off of a great mid-range shooting season where he was up around 47 percent so he can get to those looks consistently and then he does bring solid spot up shooting he does bring very solid defensive tools you look at the rookies, Hawk, as I do think is pretty pro-ready. And he wasn't my favorite value pick, but 
I think he is going to be a smart help defender here. I think that he is a solid shooter. I think he is very skilled in terms of attacking mismatches, a uniquely good post-scoring wing. I really wanted to see the Heat add more legitimately big athletes in the front court. They didn't quite do that, but he does at least add a bit of size here. So I think it's a solid add. I think he's a good all-around basketball player. Not the highest ceiling guy to me. I want to see his perimeter shooting really translate and maybe even improve in the league. And again, I do think, although he has good instincts defensively, he's a bit limited there because of solid athleticism. And then Jovic, I think the jury remains out on. I did like what we saw from him in FIBA. I think he's an inventive passer. I think that he can shoot. I think he has good instincts off ball. I think that he's a good cog in the machine sort of guy. We'll see how he can defend. We'll see how he can create space reliably off the dribble. So overall, when I look at that collection of wings, I think with the progression of a guy like Jovic, the introduction of Richardson and Hawkes, it should be similar. I don't see a real ceiling raiser here, but I don't see real reason to expect a drop-off. I do think maybe the shooting ceiling from this core is a little bit lower than what it was with Vincent and Struess, where Vincent could have these big pull-up shooting games, Struess could have these big catch-and-shooting games, and again, that was hugely important. The Heat were the best three-point shooting team in the playoffs last year. But my concern is more about the sustainability of that run in its entirety, which I just don't think holds up. To me, it was an outlier shooting run. I think it was very matchup specific, but I think that the Heat were super well coached. I think that Jimmy played out of his mind. Can he sustain that level again? It's a lot to ask. Can they shoot 45% plus from deep and make 15 plus threes a game in a couple series like they did against both the Celtics and the Bucks? That feels like a lot to ask. And fundamentally, the Eastern Conference is better. I think that the Knicks are better. Full season of Josh Hart in there, adding a guy like Dante DiVincenzo. I think that certainly the Bucs and Celtics are a whole lot better. And now your execution advantage, your shooting advantage, your best player outplaying their advantage, your coaching advantage, all those things have to go that much more in your favor because now you're trying to overcome even more overwhelmingly talented teams. It does feel to me like it's very, very unlikely that they could replicate last year's success. But maybe an X factor some people look at, a guy who they didn't have in last year's playoff run who could raise that ceiling is Tyler Hero, who of course was talked about in potential Dame trades throughout the offseason. He has just survived a number of theoretical trade proposals with stars who the Heat were looking to add do you buy into that? Do you think that Hero gives this team a ceiling to where they could replicate a run like that? I think Hero is going to be the answer to another one of their biggest questions that you alluded to earlier. I think it's bench creation and just a reliable ball handler off the bench. Like, the guard depth here is not good, and that's what I'm really concerned with on top of... Those are the two biggest issues, I think, for Miami is... Bench creation, a guy that can reliably create shots that isn't Kyle Lowry, and I don't know if you're going to stagger minutes with Lowry, uh, Richardson, and Hero. I think that's probably what they should do. Uh, stagger them with Jimmy a little bit too, but also rebounding. I think Hero can help a little bit, but he's not a great ball handler. He's not a great creator out of pick and roll. You know, he's Hero's a guy who's looking for his own shots. You know what I mean? And I think the fundamental issue is going to be creating open looks for other teammates. And Hero can still be a little erratic in terms that, 
It's like a Chris Middleton, right? Hero is not going to get downhill and get easy looks at the rim. He's a guy that is reliable on, or that is reliant, excuse me, on tough shot making from the perimeter. Again, that's just not as easy, reliable offense. I think Hero can definitely help, right? I think he can do what Gabe Vincent did in the playoffs to a much higher level. Hero's going to have to take a legitimate, legitimate leap for me to buy into this team as a contender and to buy them over the likes of Philly and New York. And I, I don't mean just a regular leap. Like, I mean a playmaking leap, a uh, pick-and-roll leap, a ball-handling leap, getting downhill more. Hero's offense just isn't easy right now. And, yeah, I think we need to see something tangible for me to buy into this team. He can definitely help. But, like you said, I don't know if it puts them over the top. Yeah, I think that Hero is a very skilled on-ball creator and overall scorer, and that's valuable to a team that struggled so much offensively throughout the regular season last year and isn't overwhelmingly talented there. He is excellent from floater range, shoots about 55% on those shots, really sensational. He's a high-level pull-up shooter. He's good creating space for himself on those pull-up jumpers with step-backs and whatnot. And he's grown into a solid playmaker and an overall good pick-and-roll creator to me. And then you consider what he can do in spot-up situations off-screens with his shooting, what he can do coming off handoffs. It's a legitimate injection of offensive skill for a team that I think definitely needs that. As you say, though, he is uniquely limited pressuring the rim. 9.4% of his shots last year came at the rim. That is a crazy low number. That is like 38-year-old Chris Paul sort of territory. So because of that, he still scores with slightly below average efficiency. He's not a real plus playmaker to me, and he struggles to defend. So yes, he is one of their most talented offensive players. Is he a real meaningful difference maker in terms of winning basketball? I think the jury is out, and I think I may not be as high on him as some. So there's no question that there is a high floor with this team because Jimmy and Bam will get you to the playoffs. Those are two top 20 players. This team will defend at a reasonably high level. I think that they will be respectable offensively. You mentioned the injuries, though. I don't really think that they were significantly more unlucky last year than we should expect. First of all, the number of games missed around the league are just inflated these days, but I don't think Lowry missing games hurt them. He was awful in the regular season. Jimmy, when he has played over the last three years, they've won at the pace of a 50-win team, but he's been pretty much guaranteed to miss 15 to 20 games. It's just been sort of an inevitability. So I think that this is a team that is, again, going to sort of scrape their way into the playoffs. I have them as a 43-win team in the sixth seed. And then it's going to be a question of how much can they out-execute a higher-seeded team? How much can they exploit their weaknesses? How much can Jimmy step up? And for what it's worth, like, the theoretical matchup that I have here is them against the Sixers. That's the sort of matchup that they could thrive in because that is a team that has clear limitations, that is overwhelmingly reliant on Joel Embiid, especially if they don't have James Harden, who has struggled dissecting double teams with his playmaking, who has struggled to hold up as a jump shooter. They can exploit, I think, that team in space with their shooting. There are advantages there. They could win that series. But when you get to the Celtics and when you get to the Bucks of this year, again, they were able to really break down the Bucks last year because of their limited half-court skill. And, of course, the Heat had a ridiculous outlier shooting series. But Damian Lillard, to me, completely changes the dynamics there and is really a cure-all to those offensive woes. I think that puts them definitively over the top. Look at a team like the Celtics. 
I think the additional offensive skill that they get from Kristaps Porzingis, I think that the size and athleticism advantages they have, not just in the front court, but up and down the starting five, I think reestablishing a defensive culture, which Drew Holiday should help do. The Celtics' biggest question mark does still remain for me, which is the consistent half-court creation and playmaking and decision-making in crunch time from their star wings. And the Heat exploited that, but I think they've gotten better by enough elsewhere to where there's just too much of a talent gap. But I have been wrong about the Heat before. I underestimated them throughout last year's playoff run. But it's like you said, they have stagnated, it feels like. And if you're not getting better when everybody else around you is, you're getting worse. I think it's too much to overcome and to replicate. And again, that pure shooting ceiling, dude. Like, yeah, the Heat are a good shooting team, but they're just not that level. And that was so important for the the variance that just really made the upsets that much more feasible. So we both still have them winning the division, but not so confident in a finals run. In fact, I would be absolutely shocked if they made a finals run again this year. Too many things need to go right, I think. But why do you view the Hawks as being in a similar tier? I love so much of the talent here in Atlanta. And that's been the frustrating thing over the past couple of seasons. Is they've just accumulated guys that me and you like, Carson. And it just hasn't turned into wins for Atlanta. There are so many guys here that I look at and I go, man, I would love to have them on my team. DeAndre Hunter, uh, Kobe Bufkin, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson, Onyeka Okongwu. Like, DeJounte Murray is your second best guy. Like, there's a lot of talent on this team and they just haven't put it together yet. It's it's what I call the Trey Young dilemma, right? The offense with Trey is always going to be great. They had an offensive rating of 118.7 with Trey on the floor. That's 6.8 points better without Trey on the floor. But they can be inconsistent because sometimes Trey can go cold because of his shot selection. And it's just hard making tough shots night in, night out. So it's hard to be reliably consistent when you're always making tough shots. And it's hard when Trey can't play off ball. They're just it's not possible. You know, him and DeJounte, you still question if they work, and Trey's a defensive liability, and it's always tough having a guy, you know, right at the front of your point of attack when point guard is such a loaded position. He can't guard anybody. He's the worst defender in basketball, so it's hard, but there's so many young, talented guys here that I expect to either take a leap or really valuable, valuably contribute to this team immediately. One of my, one of our favorite guys, Carson, Onyeko Kongwu is back. Mm-hmm. Backing up Clint Capella, I expect him to get a ton of burn this season. He's a really great switchable guy, but he's also great at protecting the rim. Uh, He's really agile, really strong. He's just a great defensive five. Uh, A.J. Griffin, I think, is an all-around bucket. When we saw him on the floor last season, he really showed out. He's such a great, instinctual offensive player. He reads the floor. He's great at backdoor cutting. And he's a knockdown shooter. He was 68th percentile as a spot-up shooter last season and score. He was 77th percentile as a cutter. There's just guys that get it. There's so many instances on offense where you see A.J. kick it to the wing and cut, no matter who's uh, on him, right? Little stuff like that, man. Just passing and cutting. It opens up everything on offense. It opens up easy offense for him. Jalen Johnson, I've liked for a while. Now, he's probably the lowest out of the young guys on this list that I probably like Jalen Johnson the least, but there's still a lot to like with him. He's a great athlete. He's a good rebounder. He can handle a little bit. He can push in transition. Uh, another guy that I like a lot, though, is Kobe Bufkin. And I think AJ and Kobe are going to get buckets off the bench this season. 
He's a slithery, smooth operator in the lane. He's a crafty bucket. I read out a lot of these numbers when we were going over the pre-draft process. He shot his at-rim attempts at 72%. He shot long twos at 49%. He's a 64 percentile spot-up shooter, a 66 percentile player off off-ball screens. He was 88th percentile out of DHOs. I comped into a, smarty, a smarter lefty Jordan Poole or a bigger Bones Highland. Like, there's just so much requisite talent here. And you look at the starting lineup, too. You got Bogdan. You got DeAndre Hunter. You got Clint Capella. There's just so much freaking talent here that I can't imagine this team doesn't win more than, or excuse me, doesn't win less than, you know, 44 games. Uh, for reference, I have... Wow. I have the Heat at 46 and 36. I have Atlanta at 45 and 37. The things that I think hold this team is that hold this team back is you know general continuity, uh, the fits around here. But there's just so much talent that I have to bank on this team being good. And in a regular season context, I wholeheartedly believe that Atlanta could be better than Miami. Miami seems to always step it up in the playoffs. I think Atlanta definitely could be a better regular season team. And if any of these young guys take a leap, if we see a tangible leap from Griffin, if we see Kobe immediately come in here and ball out, Okongwu, Jalen Johnson, I think it takes this team up another notch, man. Again, I don't think it's a perfect fit. I don't think this team's going to be great defensively, but there's a ton of talent here that I really like, and I'm banking on that talent to perform. So, yeah, I've got Atlanta one win behind Miami at 45 and 37. I also have them one win behind Miami, but for me, that's at just 42 wins. I have them as my seven seed, and I think that the most noticeable change is going to be on the offensive side of the ball with Quinn Snyder here, a full season at the helm, and with improved spacing, getting rid of John Collins, who had just a brutal shooting season last year, and starting Sadiq Bey at the four. I still don't think... It's a particularly good spacing situation because of DeJounte's limitations and because, obviously, Clint Capella is a complete non-shooter, but it's an improvement. And I understand people ragging on Trey, and I have serious issues with Trey. I think that his stylistic rigidity is a problem. I think he is an abysmal defender. I think that at times he can be too far dialed in the direction of shooting first when his playmaking is his greatest asset, and he can get into those stretches where he's taking really tough pull-up jumpers and shooting 30 times in a playoff game, and it can be a bit painful and to the detriment of the team. However... I think he has become underrated and overcriticized, and I think what he did with the offensive core around him last year was really, really impressive. To lead the number seven offense in basketball while they were 26th and threes made, 21st and three point percentage, I think DeJounte Murray is a really bad fit here, and we've talked about this before. I've wanted Atlanta to add a legitimate on-ball creator, a secondary ball handler, so that we can see what Trey is capable of off-ball. But DeJounte is just not the guy because DeJounte is not a good off-ball player. He's not a good floor spacer. And so he just ends up hurting the offense because Trey alone dictating things with great play finishers around the rim and great floor spacers would be so much better than when you take the ball out of his hands for a guy like DeJounte. And in fact, the offense was five and a half points worse per 100 possessions with DeJounte on the floor last year. I think that that was a real misstep, making him the guy that they wanted to go out and get. But you just can't bottom out 
when you have Trey Young because he is going to make you a damn good offense. I mean, two years ago, we saw him lift that cast to the number two offense in basketball with pretty much just good shooters and lob threats around him. No sort of creation. He is that incredible at controlling the game out of pick and roll, manufacturing lob opportunities and overall looks around the rim for his teammates, demanding help so that he can create for shooters. And of course, he's unbelievable from flow to range. He eats up free throw attempts. He had a down shooting season last year, but overall one of the more dangerous pull-up jump shooters in basketball. So it's going to be a really good offense. I also think it's going to be a really bad defense though, because Sadiq coming in again, he is going to improve the spacing situation, but at the four, He's undersized. He's not a great athlete. He's not a good rebounder. You're not getting any secondary rim protection there from him. John Collins was not a good defender, but he brought more of that size and athleticism and whatnot. And then you do have a major liability at the point of attack in Trey. I just think this is a small, generally not super athletic team that has never had a good defensive culture with the exception of that one Eastern Conference Finals run when they really committed, but this was the number 22 defense last year. I don't see any reason it would improve, and they are saved to the point where they are not like towards the absolute bottom of the league by the play of their centers defensively, where Capella is still a very high-level rim protector and a monstrous defensive rebounder. But I prefer Onyeka at this point. And honestly, I would like to see him start this year. I think that he has clearly more offensive skill. You see the flashes. He shot 49% on hooks, has a legitimate little move he can go to there. 44% on jumpers. He's got a decent floater. He's got softer hands. Capella is just so limited in terms of his offensive skill. And yeah, it's great to have a good big athletic lob threat for Trey. You need that, but I think Onyeka can still do that while bringing more respectable offensive skill. And then defensively, Capella is a slightly better pure rim protector, and he's definitely a better defensive rebounder, but Onyeka's still good there, legitimately good, and he's more switchable. And he's just a higher priority to me organizationally. See what you got. This is definitely a big prove-it year for him. So I do buy into him. And they already had a pretty even minute split last year, but I want to see even more on Yekka. So there is talent here. Like you say, I really like AJ Griffin. I like him as a spot up shooter. We've seen him able to get himself a bucket. I think he's got solid feel out of pick and roll. He's a little bit crafty there. I like Kobe Bufkin. That's a versatile shot creator. I don't know that those guys really change the ceiling here for me. So it feels like the same formula as the last couple years, just a slightly different presentation. I think it's going to be a little bit prettier offensively because of better spacing, but it should be a very good offense. Still probably not top three to five to me. I don't know that there's enough overall offensive skill here and a well below average, but not awful defense, probably somewhere between 20th to 25th. So they feel stuck in place. I think this is, despite a couple of the changes, a really similar outlook. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I want to get a gauge of where you rank Trey Young with his liabilities among other point guards in the league today. Would you rather have Trey or Ja? I would rather have Trey because I think that he is a significantly better pure offensive engine. I think that his pull-up shooting advantages are real. Even though he's inconsistent, he's not as great as maybe advertised all the time. But then, to me, it's really the playmaking edge. I just think he controls the game better. Trey or Halliburton? I would rather have Trey. I think that there's a different level of pressure that he exerts on a defense coming downhill out of pick and roll, and I do think he's a better passer as well. Would you rather have Trey or De'Aaron Fox? Wow. Well, we had this debate when Mm. we were doing our top 10 young guys to build around. I would still prefer Trey because again I think the opportunities he manufactures they can go so unnoticed but that playmaking value is really really elite and I think both guys are gonna oh they're gonna generally dominate the ball Fox it's very fun when he can put on these mid-range clinics but overall he's still not a super efficient scorer and he's a better defender than Trey but I don't think that makes up for the gap and that was reflected in this year like if you think about the bottom line everybody was raving raving about what Fox did mm-hmm. and everybody was shitting on Trey bottom line though Trey was manufacturing more total offense more efficiently against a better defense it's just like sometimes our expectations for him are a bit unfair in how they're calibrated All right, my final one, Trey or Jalen Brunson? Man, I knew that you were coming to this. (laughs) I would take Jalen Brunson because I think he has a really unique level of versatility as a shot creator that is so, so valuable. When you can dissect out of pick and roll, out of isolation, when you can work your way to the mid-range area that consistently, he may not be the same caliber of bottom line offensive engine that Trey is. But when it comes to crunch time, when it comes to scaling alongside other players, I would give him the slight edge. But him, Trey, and Fox are all really close to me. And I do still think that Fox may be a bit better suited to rise in a playoff environment, but I think that Trey is just better overall. Okay, my final question for you on the Hawks, Carson. You say that, you know, DeJounte Murray isn't a perfect fit alongside Trey Young, and I completely agree. Is there a guy that you think, either at the two guard, at the wing spot, is there a guy that you think would be a more seamless, ideal fit for Atlanta that they could have, or just an example of a player that you think would fit perfectly alongside Trey? So, that's a good question. One thing I'm interested in seeing is if there's any growth from Trey in terms of his willingness to play off-ball in Quinn Snyder's system, because I think we've seen him really incentivize ball movement, unselfish play. If you think about what the Jazz teams epitomized, it was that, the sort of quick decision-making, ball movement, everybody on the floor can shoot. If he can tap into a bit more of that, then I think that it does put him in a tier where he can play alongside guys who are going to handle the ball more. But the other version I would like to see is, what if you built 
an almost Steve Nash sort of core around him. When you think about what those Suns did, Steve Nash, very ball-dominant player, but brilliant playmaker, very efficient scorer, and he had fantastic floor spacing, and he had an elite pick-and-roll partner and rim finisher in Amare Stoudemire. And I think if you look at what the Hawks were doing a couple years ago, they had solid shooting alongside him, and they had pretty good rim finishers, and that was the number two offense in basketball. So I do still worry about how Trey's style scales because I think this super ball dominant thing at the level he's doing it, the guy's not Magic Johnson. So historically, that's not the best style. But I also don't think that his skill set is being optimized right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. And I, I do think that this team... I, I, I don't know how great of a defense you can ever build, you know, alongside Trey when he is your lead point of attack guy. But like you said, I mean, Phoenix got close. They were on the cusp more often than any other team, you know, in NBA history, it feels like, that didn't win a title. They were always that close. Mm -hmm. I think that Atlanta, if they leaned into the skid, you know what I mean? You don't try to overcompensate for Trey's uh, deficiencies, right? I think that's what they did with DeJounte. And in theory, it made sense. But if you leaned all the way in and just went full offense— I think you can make a deep playoff run. I do think that, like you said, guys with high usage ratings in the playoffs, it's just proven that it's it, it's not going to scale well to the mm-hmm. playoffs. They still do need a secondary ball handler. But if they leaned all the way in on offense, I think it could work, and I think you could make a, a deep playoff run. And if we were just going to say, all right, ideal, do it in the lab, this isn't necessarily feasible. But I think a really great star <laughs> yeah. compliment for him would be somebody like a Paul George who is a really good off-ball player, who brings that shooting value, who can pick up some slack defensively, but who is also a legitimate bucket getter and a guy who can kill you out of pick and roll, who can handle the ball at a high level, who's a good playmaker. Somebody like that, where Trey can still dictate things, he can still give you value where he's at his best, and that is pick and roll creation on ball but who can also alleviate some of the responsibilities, who can add a bit more variety and dynamism to the offensive attack while still complementing Trey in an off-ball role. So they haven't done a great job of building a team around him, in my opinion. He has his flaws, and I don't feel like I've been a particularly high on Trey guy historically at all. I just feel like the discourse has gone a bit too far blaming him when in reality, he's covering up some real holes. There's not a lot of dudes in the NBA, Logan, who could have made this supporting cast last year the number seven offense in basketball. So, got to give a little bit of props to Trey. Okay, who do you have next here in the Southeast? My number three spot, I think there's a clear drop-off after this team, and I'm expecting big things from this young group. Uh, Somewhat big things. I don't want to oversell them. I got the Orlando Magic. I've got them going 37 and 45. I still think that they're... A little limited in terms of both sides of the ball. Uh, I don't think they're going to be an elite defense. I think they've got good length. I think they've got good athleticism. I think there is a ceiling with Wendell Carter uh, at the five. I like Wendell Carter, but again, great defenses. Normally you need a great rim protector, but I really am intrigued by uh, this offense this upcoming season. And Paolo's going to dictate it, man. I think Paolo was really special. He's one of 11 rookies since 2000, averaged 20 points per game in their rookie season. And I just really like Paolo's offensive game, man, how how versatile it is. Like, he's good at getting to the rim. He's really relying on the mid-range jump shot. But it's encouraging to me that, you know, Paolo's willing to take that shot, that it's 
he can be versatile. You know, you can't ever really predict what Paolo's going to do. My thing is, if Paolo's going to have the ball in his hands this much, right, if they're going to lean on him as the offensive engine, I think he's got to grow as a playmaker. I think he has to get, which I already thought he was good. I mean, again, for a rookie, I thought Paolo blew me out of the water. I don't really think there's any holes in Paolo's game. He just has to get better at the things he's average at right now. And passing and playmaking, I think, is one of them, where just spotting open guys, moving the ball a little more, being a little more selfless, because Paolo definitely could pound the rock and take a pull-up mid-range J in a lot of possessions, just dictate. But again, there's a lot of encouraging things about that. And I think him improving jump shot-wise is one of them. He shot 34% on pull-ups. He shot 32% on jumpers. He shot 38% on step-backs. And it's easy for Paolo. He just rises and fire over who's in front of him. It's about getting more efficient in the mid-range, because again, he can get to all these looks with such ease. It reminds me of again, this is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, and I don't mean this in the way he, how efficient he is, I mean this in the way that he gets his looks. It's very Jason Tatum-esque, how he is just able to get to these spots and rise over guys. It's about making them more efficiently, it's about generating open looks for his teammates, and I think it's about finally extending out to the three-point line, because Paolo just doesn't have that in his bag yet. Because there are good guards here. I like Anthony Black, I like Markel Fultz, I like Cole Anthony, but again, Paolo is going to be your primary ball handler, and really... If Orlando's going to be a playoff team this year, it is about Paolo being a great offensive engine. I just don't know if we can expect that overwhelmingly, but uh, Paolo's really well-rounded and I think is going to be a great scorer uh, one day. I mean, uh, again, crazy numbers for a rookie, what he did last season. Also a great post-scorer, too. Uh, friend of the show, uh, volume teammate Jason Timpf, uh did a breakdown on his post-game, too. He's a good post-scorer. I think primarily what we get out of Orlando, the ceiling is really going to be dictated by how much of a leap Paolo takes. If Paolo, you know, is great uh, this season, if he takes a massive leap, I think Orlando could be a playoff team next year. And I do like a lot of the requisite talent around here. Franz Wagner back is just really well-rounded, a good defender, a good shooter, a good playmaker and uh, supplementary ball handler. Like he's I, Franz Wagner's like the perfect complimentary wing in a lab, and that's changed for two years because I did not like Franz Wagner at all coming out of the draft. He was one of my least favorite prospects, but Wagner is a beast. But I really just think it comes down to Paolo, man. There's a lot of talent I like here. Anthony Black. I think Jet Howard's going to be a cool spot-up option. I really think it's going to be how good can this team defend next season and how much of a leap can Paolo take on the offensive end, but for a young team, what I think is really encouraging is effort was not an issue for Orlando last season. They played hard, they tried, they were going out there to win basketball games, and for a lot of young teams, that's hard to do. Like, take a look at the Hornets. I mean, I know LaMelo Ball wasn't out there, but young rosters like that, it's hard to get them to compete and really try and go out there and win. For teams like Orlando, for teams like Oklahoma City, it's really encouraging that that wasn't an issue. So I've got them at 37 wins, but like I said, if Paolo takes a massive tangible leap, I think that Orlando could be a 41 team and potentially a playoff team. That's obviously in the best case scenario. So I'm going to split in the middle here and I'm going to go 37 and 45. But Orlando is going to be so much fun to watch next season. I think I'm a little bit higher on the Magic than you okay. are. I have them winning 40 games as my nine seeds. So just narrowly missing out on the conventional playoffs. They'll be in the play-in against another young team that I think I'm high on this year. The Pacers, who I have in that eight spot. And I think if Jonathan Isaac stays healthy, they will be better than this. So I do think that there's a higher ceiling than maybe you do. 
betting on the guy who's averaged under 25 games per season in his career to be healthy doesn't seem smart to me. The reports are that he looks the best he ever has. He's the healthiest he's ever been. That's awesome. I really hope it's true because he is a game-breaking defensive player. Like, just a monumentally great defensive playmaker. Super versatile. Elite secondary rim protection and he would reshape their interior defense, which is really the issue. Wendell Carter Jr. just not being a great rim protector and them not really having good depth in terms of defensive bigs. If he were healthy and having that level of defensive impact we're used to from him, I think this could be a 45-win team. I think they could win this division. I think they could make somebody really uncomfortable in the playoffs because that would be a really big athletic team that could defend at an impressive level for how young their core is. But again... I just don't really buy it. These things do happen. Markel Fultz with the Magic is a good example of the dude who could never stay healthy, but he was mostly healthy last year. It just doesn't seem likely to me, but I really, really love what they are building in Orlando. They're still one of the handful of youngest teams in the NBA, but I do think for a young team, even if Isaac is not consistently on the floor, they should defend relatively well because I think that Franz is already a legit plus there. Really good, versatile point of attack defender. Fultz is good at the point of attack. And I loved what we saw from Paolo defensively in FIBA. And I think that if he commits to that end of the floor like he did there, then this is a really athletic guy who has some secondary rim protecting potential himself, who can defend multiple positions. I still think though, given how young they are, Given that this was a weak interior defense last year, they allowed the fifth highest opponent field goal percentage at the rim. I don't like the bench defensively, so I think we should expect them to be around average on that end of the floor. And then offensively, I think that that's also the range that they will be in. Paolo is supremely talented, but is he ready to be a good number one on a good offensive team where I don't love the spacing? And coming from where he was last year, you saw the overwhelming athleticism, the ability to pressure the rim at a pretty special level, the ability to bully dudes and attack mismatches out of the post. And you saw some really nice flashes of playmaking out of double teams off post-ups, out of pick and roll. You saw some nice fluid shot creation off the dribble and pull-up jump shooting. But the playmaking was a bit inconsistent. The jump shooting was very inconsistent. And so overall, you have... a pretty inefficient offensive number one true shooting about five percent below league average which is what you should expect from a rookie and I think he'll be better in year two I just don't know that he's gonna be again at that yeah carrying a good NBA offense level but there is other talent here I absolutely love Franz Wagner he's a transition monster he's good as a spot-up shooter a smart cutter off ball and really good feel out of pick and roll awesome playmaker there a good finisher, just a very crafty, good all-around basketball player. And I like Marco Fultz a lot out of pick and roll. I think that he is really good from floater range. I think he is still a good athlete. I think he is an unselfish playmaker. Where I worry about him is how he fits into the scope of this offense off ball. I worry about his shooting value. He's found the mid-range, but he still doesn't have the spot-up three-point shooting value, and that's a concern for this entire team. They were 25th and threes made last year. They were 24th and three-point percentage. Fultz is a question mark, to say the least. In fact, I just think he's really a non-shooter off-ball. Paolo was an inefficient jump shooter last year. Wendell Carter Jr. is a solid stretch big, but 
it's not like overwhelmingly his preference to be spacing the floor at all times. So I worry about the shooting here and I do want to see Paolo and Franz get significant time with the ball in their hands. That just makes Fultz less valuable to me. If Isaac does play, he's another question mark in terms of shooting. So I think they'll take a legit step forward because the young guys will progress. Hopefully you get a full season of Fultz. I don't know if you can count on that, but again, with the youth, with the spacing questions, going from 26th in offensive rating last year to legitimately above average, that feels like a lot to ask. But I think they can get into that average range. And then I do think it's a fun bench. Like, you got real shot creation with Cole Anthony and Anthony Black out there. You do have some high-level shooting on the wings with Jet Howard. They bring in Joe Ingles. I really like Anthony Black long-term. I think his playmaking at his size is awesome. I think that... As a two-way guy, I really like what he should bring to the table. But right now, another dude where the shot is a real question mark. I just wouldn't expect him to be super efficient and refined and a big difference maker off the bench as a rookie. And Howard, you and I both didn't love that pick at number 11. I think that he's going to struggle to defend at the next level. I think that he's certainly not a plus athlete, but he's got some wiggle to him. He's got some shot creation. He handles the ball well for his size. He's shown some playmaking and he's a really good pure shooter. So he will bring more offensive skill here, which I think long-term Orlando would love to have because they have their foundation in the front court. I absolutely love Franz and Paolo. That to me will want, be one of the best forward tandems in the league for a long time, if not the best. I think those are both all-stars down the line stamp it, book it, top 25 sort of players. And so now they're just trying to figure out building around them. And I think that the backcourt is where you look. They've taken a couple guys with potential there. It's a team that is very, very much trending in the right direction, but they still don't have that avenue to being really good on either side of the floor. They don't have that sort of automatic offensive engine out of pick and roll the guy who can elevate everybody around him and that's another reason that I'm not sure this is going to be a huge efficiency leap for Paolo because he doesn't have that sort of dude spoon feeding him looks around the rim maybe empowering him to do some more of that big man stuff as a finisher out of pick and roll and whatnot and then defensively they're lacking the real high-end anchor so because of that I think that they're a play-in team, but I would be disappointed if they're not in the play-in. I think as young as they are, they are still too talented and they have to be there. Where do you have them in terms of seeding? I've got Orlando, actually, Carson, as my 8 seed, 37 and 45. Wow. Supremely weak East, yeah. Uh, so they are going to creep into the playoffs. Uh, I might have to bump them up a few wins. That seems obscenely low for an 8 seed, so. Yeah, that's, that's like Detroit. A half decade ago, they were climbing in there in that range. I do think the East, comparatively, especially in terms of depth, has taken a step back versus the West. There are so many good teams in the West, if healthy, and that's really more it. If the West is healthier, I think that it's going to be improved. There's also really good young talent trending in the right direction. The top of the East, I mean, the top two are really, really good, but the rest of the conference... It felt like things were more even between the East and the West for the last couple of years, and now I think we're going back to a more West-heavy top of the league. Yeah, and I think maybe that's a reason why I should expect some of these young teams to to get a few more wins under their belts because of how comparatively weak the East is. So I'll have full record predictions. I might bump up Orlando to 40 wins. I do like them a lot. Um, I, I do think the East is crazy top-heavy, though, man. The depth here is not great. Well... 
One team that is hoping to maybe separate themselves from the dregs of this conference and that lowly depth is the Charlotte Hornets, who we have to start this out by acknowledging, Logan, that Kai Jones will no longer be a Hornet. He has requested a trade. I don't know if you saw this. I believe he added the hashtag goat life to it at goat the life. end. Goat life. Goat life, man. He really thinks he's the best to ever do it. And I loved Kai Jones as a prospect. I didn't know that he was an insane person, but boy, did he have some tools. So with that in mind, no Kai Jones for the Hornets. What do you expect from them? Uh, we need to examine the water supply in Charlotte, I think, first and foremost, after uh-huh. what has happened these past couple seasons. You know, yeah. uh, you got Trez. He had, you know, the three pounds of vacuum seal uh, <laughs> in his car. You got James Booknight passing out with a gun in his lap. And uh, Kai Jones has gone crazy off the Yerkes, man. Yeah. So uh, Charlotte is in a really weird place, man. I, I think they've got a lot of talent, especially at the top end in LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. I think that's going to be an awesome tandem uh, to watch next season. It's going to be interesting. I know a lot of people talked about this during the draft after they drafted Brandon Miller, uh, about both of them pressuring the rim. LaMelo was the second worst at-rim finisher last season, minimum 150 attempts, uh, shot 54% at the rim, second to only Lou Dort. But he misses 46 games last year. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he looks returning after fracturing his ankle. I still really like LaMelo as a number one, as a lead playmaker, just as a tall guy, great feel for the game, great pick-and-roll ball handler, good rebounder, solid scorer. You know, if LaMelo takes a scoring leap, then he really is a complete package offensively. He's such a good playmaker, man. And I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching him and Brandon work together, too, because I think LaMelo can complement Brandon Miller off-ball as well, the same way that Brandon Miller is going to help LaMelo off ball. He's a flamethrower. He can shoot with range. He's an insane athlete. I think you can use him in a ton of different actions with his size too. He's six foot nine. Uh, you can use him, you know, rolling to the basket as a ball handler, as a straight up floor spacer. I just think you have a lot of versatility uh, with these two guys. But that's kind of the only encouraging thing about this team, man. You know, they're 20th in defensive rating. I don't think this is going to be a great defense. I think Mark Williams can help this team anchoring the five spot if he starts the entire year. I think he's going to be a really good rim protector. Seven foot, 240 pounds, huge wingspan. I loved him out of the draft. Miles Bridges is apparently going to come back this season too, Carson. I don't know how much that changes the outlook for me. I mean, he's an uber-talented player. He's a great at-rim finisher, uh, decent ball handler too. Like, he's pretty versatile too. But I still don't think it's going to be a great defense. This bench is cool, not great. Again, I think defense is my primary issue with this team. They're going to be a lot of fun at the top. There's guys I like here, LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Nick Smith Jr., James Booknight, Terry Rozier, some nice buckets off the bench. But I don't think this defense is going to be great. I think this is really just how much does LaMelo and Brandon Miller show us and you know what else can we put around them moving forward? You have your two building blocks for the future at your one and two spots. What can you put around them to make their winners? And I also, I think Mark Williams could be the center of the future for this team too, but we're going to need to see it this year. So they've got cool building blocks, but this team is far from contention. They're far from being relevant. And again, there's a major culture issue in Charlotte that I think they have to address before they're actually going to get over this hump and make a, you know, a legitimate playoff push and be a real contender out East. Yeah, no matter what, they're going to be better than last year because they... Had no LaMelo for half the year. They obviously didn't have Miles Bridges. Gordon Hayward missed over 30 games. They still won 27 in those circumstances. I don't think, though, that they are going to bounce back to 
2022 levels when they managed to win 43 games. And I think that the biggest strength of that team was their perimeter shooting. They were an elite three-point shooting team last year. They were one of the worst in basketball. I think things probably fall somewhere in the middle this year. But this is a big prove-it year for LaMelo. That is the storyline that stands out to me as well because there are legitimate questions about how he projects as a number one on a team that actually wants to win meaningful basketball games. You mentioned how much he struggles to get to the rim and to finish there. His shot diet is so reliant on floaters where he's got really good touch, but it's just not inherently efficient offense. He doesn't get anything easy at the line either. And he takes some obscenely difficult pull-up jump shooters where he's still efficient as a pull-up shooter. It's just tough. He also is pretty turnover prone because he takes a lot of risks as a passer, which I think for the most part is a good thing. He creates some opportunities that aren't there, but also sometimes it's ill-advised and it can be a bit costly. So when you include passes out of pick and roll, LaMelo creates with average efficiency there. That's what he did last year, which is disappointing because pick and roll has to be the foundation of his game. I do still think he's really talented. I think he's a special pure shooter. The fact that he is still efficient with the degree of difficulty is a reflection of that incredible range. I mean, he shoots more one-legged pull-ups than anybody, which isn't necessary, but it's cool. It shows that he's a hell of a shooter, and he is still extremely creative as a passer. He's got the ball on a string, such a skilled ball handler. I love his feel. But he's got to make things easier. He's got to make things more efficient. He's not playing in an optimized offensive situation. I do wonder if a full season of Mark Williams can unlock some stuff just because Williams isn't the best vertical athlete, but he's definitely better than Plum Dog Millionaire. And I've always felt LaMelo's a good lob thrower. You want to see him with a Clint Capella-like athlete, uh, the kind of guy who Trey is able to just feed those opportunities all day when you're coming downhill out of pick and roll and it's either the lob or the floater conundrum. So maybe that can add another dimension to his game offensively, but he's still brutal defensively. So I think that he's really got to prove that he is the dude you want to build around. Of course, he got his money. He just got his massive bag. So in that sense, he's good. But I want to see a leap from LaMelo this year in terms of his efficiency in terms of consistently leading to good team offense. I do think that Miles Bridges sucks as a guy, but he is really good and I think may be underrated as a pure basketball player. What we saw from him in 2022, you mentioned it, extremely versatile score and one of the best rim pressurers in basketball. He made the ninth most field goals inside of five feet that year and he's just behind like the Giannis's and Bronze and Jaws of the world and then it's all centers who are finishing around the rim. And because of his skill as a ball handler because he's capable as a pull-up jump shooter, but because of his size as well, I mean, he can really do it out of any action. He's great in transition. He can attack mismatches out of isolation. Good pick-and-roll ball handler. Good pick-and-roll roll man. Good cutter. So I do think it's worth noting that he's going to miss 30 games for suspension. Once he comes back, I think he is a difference maker and one of the best players on this team, certainly. And I'm high on Brandon Miller. I thought that he was the right choice at number two. But I do think it's going to take some time for him to adjust and to be an efficient option at the next level. I love his shooting skill, but I think we've seen in terms of him as a ball handler, catching up to NBA athleticism, 
with his lack of a super quick first step, I just think he's going to be relying on some tough pull-up jumpers. I really like his playmaking flashes for a 6'9 guy of his age. Is he going to put it together consistently? Based on what we saw in Summer League, I think it's going to be an adjustment. I really like him as a long-term prospect because of the two-way stuff, because of the on- and off-ball skill offensively, because of the scoring and playmaking upside. But year one... I don't think he's going to be in the rookie of the year conversation. I think that Scoot is going to look a lot better in year one. I just think he's a much more NBA ready athlete. And then the other guys they've had in the drift in the draft, Nick Smith, I think is also going to take time. I mean, really talented shot creator, but inconsistent, uh, very reliant on his pull-up jump shooting. Not sure he's going to be a consistent sort of two-way guy as a rookie. So there's a lot of question marks here. Enough question marks that with the fact that I just expect them to be bad defensively, that feels inevitable with this core, there's a pretty low ceiling here. I do like Amari Bailey as a guy who can actually defend as a rookie, but it's just not a meaningful difference maker to me. I see a pretty average offense. I do think LaMelo and Bridges being back in a bounce back shooting season, partly just because, I mean, last year they had such brutal shot quality, right? You have Rozier and Ubre having to create so much for themselves. That's tough that they should be solid there, but I think it's a bad defense and they have not done a good job of building this roster in recent years, man. Kai Jones was a miss. Book Knight looks like a miss. I think that they should be disappointed that this is how their outlook is going into year four with LaMelo and there are questions about if LaMelo is really the guy still. Why don't, do you know any reason why they wouldn't be giving these young guys burn, man? Because to me, you throw in the towel last year. I mean, I would have ran Book Knight and Kai Jones and those guys a ton of time. And I think Kai's not good. I mean, at least throw them out there and figure it out. I don't know. I, I thought that Kai's frustrations, you know, outside of other off the court stuff, I thought his frustrations were probably stemming from him not getting PT. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. I'd at least give those guys some burn and see what you have, you know, in terms of young. If they're not, you know, you move off of them. But they certainly have not done uh, a great job in the draft. I don't think they've hit on anything since LaMelo, man. Yeah, I mean, the reason they're not playing them is because they're, like, pretty much unplayable, dude. And nobody was higher in America on Kai oh, Jones I than I. Oh, my God. That sort of <laughs> athleticism, the shooting skill that we saw. He even had flashes of playmaking, versatile defense, rim protection. There were so many tools, he just couldn't put them together. Book Knight, I think, I mean, is pretty one-dimensional. He's just a guy who can go out there and get you a bucket, and he's struggled to do that efficiently. I think he's been very reliant on difficult shot making. So, yeah, not a lot of big hits here in Charlotte in recent years. And I also think that defensively they'll regress because Dennis Smith Jr. is a dog defensively. They lose him. I mean, Jalen McDaniels, Kelly Oubre, you know, not consistently great defenders, but at least they're good athletic wings. So I could see this being a really, really bad defense this year. And I think it's just not a very good team overall, but it's about seeing what you have with LaMelo and Brandon Miller, those building blocks. And I do still have some optimism there. With the busy fall season here, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Well, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, 
dietitian approved ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door you'll save time eat well and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle when you are too busy when you reach the end of the day and you've been working maybe you've gone to the gym and the last thing you want to do is cook up some five-star meal all yourself from scratch factor is a perfect option you get the nutrition you get the taste without having to put in all that work they have an awesome wide variety of selections they've got lunch options they've got of course dinners and they've got some fun breakfast options and you're making a sustainable choice when you support factor they offset 100 of their delivery emissions and source 100 renewable electricity for their production sites and offices so if you are interested, head to factormeals.com slash nerd50 and use code nerd50 to get 50% off. That's code nerd50 at factormeals.com slash nerd50 to get 50% off. All right, let's talk about the Washington Wizards, Logan. But let's not take too long because who cares? They suck. Yeah, comical value back for Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis, man. I mean, it's so funny because... Carson, we've been doing the show for a minute, man. I mean, we've been saying for the past two, three seasons, you know, you move off Beal, you move off Porzingis, you just, you go into the tank, you admit it finally, and they moved off both of those guys for the lowest possible value, period. For Beal and Porzingis, they got back Jordan Poole, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Landry Shamit, Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, four first-round pick swaps, and a 2030 first-round pick that's top 20 protected. Essentially, I mean, the Wizards are going to be worse than all of the teams they swapped with, so, you know, you're basically just keeping your first-round pick, and then you get one pick that's top 20 protected. So you're probably not going to get that one. You'll get the next pick in 2031. And But they got nine second uh, future second-round picks. Let's Carson. go! That's huge. Nine future second-round picks. The Wizards completely baffled uh, their rebuild, I think, by not moving off of those guys earlier. So shout out to them. You got Johnny Davis coming off the bench this year, baby, getting some minutes. My top five prospect, Johnny Davis. Yeah, you know, the Wizards aren't going to be good, man. Uh, I think it's funny. Bilal Koulibaly is rumored to be in the G League. I think that's awesome when you spend a top 10 pick on a guy to not play him immediately. Smooth move, Washington. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bilal Koulibaly is not NBA ready whatsoever. He's like the biggest project to go in the top 10 in a long time. So <laughs> oh, no, I, I agree with you. I just think it's funny. You take a guy in the top 10 and you're like, all right, well, we're going to G League him immediately. Hey, Johnny Sick. Davis went to the G League. Yes, I don't want to talk about it. Yes, you're exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> they did. I thought he was Diet Devin Booker, man. I was all in on some Johnny Davis. Look, I like some of the individual assets here. Gafford's a cool, serviceable big man to anchor your defense. Avdija's a cool connecting wing. Kyle Kuzma's a really underrated three. Uh, I'd love to see him in a winning context, in a winning situation. I think he could really help a contending team. Jordan Poole is going to get buckets here somewhere between 25 and 30 points a game. Probably really inefficient. 30? Let's settle down. Somewhere, somewhere between there, man. Now, somewhere between 20 and 25. How about that? Maybe like 26 on 37% from the field. You feel 37%? What is this, Jerry Stackhouse? That's not possible. Yeah, like 44, man. Uh, Tyus Jones is a cool point guard, uh, smart decision maker, but I don't really see any real plus wing defenders here. I don't see any plus point of attack defenders. They're only you know, competent uh, rim protectors, Daniel Gafford. So I think it's going to be one of the worst defenses in the league, and I think that it's going to be a lot of shot chucking. So, I mean, I just think the Wizards are going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I somehow have this team winning 27 games. I'm definitely considering going lower, somewhere in that 20 range. But I, I like Kuzma and Poole a, a little too much to think that they're going to be hard. But 
Yeah, man, this team's going to suck. How many points and what efficiency? What's your official prediction? I'll go 26 on 44%. What do you got for pool and his efficiency? Okay, well, I'm not going to go with traditional field goal percentage, Logan, because I don't believe in it as a metric. I'm going to go with his true shooting percentage. I will say 23 a night on 54% true shooting. I think he's going to take a hit, even though I think... He should have a better jump shooting season than last year. I still think the shot difficulty at the volume that he's going to take them is is going to eliminate the opportunity for him to be efficient. So I'm lower on you than the Wizards, Logan. For what it's worth, I had the Hornets at 30 wins and my 13 seed. And I had to adjust some win totals overall, so we'll post a final graphic with all of our predictions and whatnot, but I was giving out a couple too many wins in the East when I really thought about how much better the West is. And I'm not going to be giving any generous win totals to the Wizards, Logan, because I have them winning 17 games as my 15 seed. And yeah, this is pessimistic. Maybe they're too talented for this. But every single team in the league is talented, dude. Don't you miss the days when you could look at, like, the 2015 Sixers and be like, oh, great, it's MCW and Tony Roten and Hollis Thompson. I wonder how many games they're going to win. Somewhere between 10 to 18. That was the bomb. Teams just don't look like that anymore. Like, last year, we all thought the Spurs were going to be the least talented. Once Cade got hurt, the Pistons made sense. But they still had Devin Vassell. They still had Keldon Johnson. Everybody's got talent. But I don't think that the Wizards have cohesive talent, and I don't think that they have very much of it. And they already were bad last year. I mean, they were 22nd in defensive rating. Excuse me, 22nd in offensive rating, 21st in defensive rating. They were 11-21 and 21 in games that Bradley Beal didn't play. Now you lose him, you lose KP. Somebody's got to really suck, and they are my pick. And I do like Kuz. I think he's taken real strides as a playmaker, as a defender, as a rebounder. I think he can attack mismatches and get himself a bucket. I think he's a versatile scorer. But as an offensive number one, I think it's pretty brutal. He's not a great athlete. He's not a great shooter. So when he's playing with limited creators, it's going to be a difficult shot diet for him. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff from the mid-range. And I just think he's going to score it well below average efficiency. And I expect the same from Poole. I don't think that Poole is cooked. I don't think he's done for. I know that everybody was just slamming him in that playoff run, and deservedly so. He was playing at an embarrassing level defensively. His decision-making sucked. His shooting was very erratic. All of that is fair. That's also, though, in a situation with super high expectations, and it was impressive that he lived up to them in the 2022 run. He's a talented guy. Again, I think the shooting variance will turn a bit more in his favor this year. I really want to see him continue to grow as a playmaker, where I think he has already shown some strides. And he just has to become more disciplined. He has to become smarter with the basketball, with his shot selection. I want to see him embrace an off-ball role and his shooting value there. He needs to commit some effort defensively. I don't believe in Jordan Poole as a star, not in the meaningful sense of the word. Like, yeah, maybe he can put up star production on bad efficiency on bad teams. But with what we saw him do in 2022, I can't be totally, totally out on the guy. But yeah, I will shout out a couple of the guys who I like here because I thought that Denny's defense and passing really popped last year. I think he's a good basketball player. But he really needs to put together the scoring. And that's a pretty big missing link. And it's just he doesn't have the athleticism and he doesn't have the shooting skill. And when you're missing those two things, 
What do you really have? And then Corey Kispert, I actually thought had a really solid year. I think that he's a lethal spot up shooter. He's so shot ready. He gets those shots up fast. He's very smart at just finding pockets of space. He's a smart cutter. He's a good off-ball player. But if I'm talking about Corey Kispert as one of my favorite parts of your team, it probably doesn't bode very well. Koulibaly has a long, long way to go, man. I liked him as a prospect, but I thought me liking him was having him as like, I think he was my number 14 player in the class maybe a little bit higher than that, but then he went seven. He is crazy raw. He has the athletic tools. He certainly has the defensive foundation, but in terms of offensive skill, I mean, the shot needs to be way more consistent. The ball handling, the playmaking, the wiggle, all of that is like far away from him being a guy who you could really rely on. So what are they good at, Logan? I say nothing. I say that they are bad at pretty much everything out there. Shout out Daniel Gafford. He is honestly an underrated rim protector. Uh, so he'll protect his turf, man. But outside of that, I don't really see who's defending at a super high level. I don't think this team has a very high shooting ceiling. I think that they're actually going to be probably pretty rough there. They don't have really, really? good creation. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that's. I think that's like the only semi strength of this team is like really. I mean, I guess it's. I guess it's average floor space. I mean, I mean dude, I mean, if you have a front court of Denny, Coos, and Gafford. That's fair. Like yikes, yikes. That's I mean, you two, got Mike Muscala that's dropping bombs two off the bench. Non-shooters man. and a below-average three-point shooter in Kuz, mediocre at best. So I'm not super high on that. You got Bucknell's best, Mike Muscala, off the bench, man. Come on, dude. They've got DeLon Wright. Let me tell you something. I do like DeLon Wright, actually. Let me shout him out too. That guy's a Swiss Army knife. He's a good basketball player. I don't think it matters too much here, but. Get DeLon right somewhere that he can help them win meaningful games. Are the Wizards going to be the worst team in the NBA next year? That is my current prediction. Yes. I think that there are other teams that are so much trending in the right direction that I think things will come together a bit more. I really think the Wizards are in a pretty brutal spot. And like you said, I mean... They traded two of their three best assets, and they didn't get a whole lot of exciting stuff to build around. So, the decades-long nightmare in Washington continues, but uh, the hour-long nightmare of this show is over. So, hope you guys have enjoyed. <laughs> I actually had fun. I hope my buddy Logan did, too. If you want more Nerd Sesh content, you can, of course, subscribe to the Volume YouTube page to get all of our shows with video. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can follow us on social, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh to see clips from the show and our trivia content. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios to talk basketball, football, become part of our community. And you can check out NerdSesh merch also at our link tree and at thevolume.com. We've got hats. Logan's wearing it. Got the flags behind us. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. So check all that out as well. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.